with my feet up on the esky, watching the waves slowly roll in, holding a stick that hopefully no fish are interested in because that would be too much hassle. That's, that's a good day. I would enjoy that day myself. I will definitely be enjoying that day somewhere across the course of the sun. The good life is the big house and the nice car. Look, we, we all know that's not it. Even the Beatles knew that wasn't it. They told us that money can't buy you love, as they wrote from their penthouse apartments in Manhattan, <laughs> as the maids changed the sheets. There's even a distorted church version of that bad idea of the good life. I mean, if we were to suddenly decide here and today that the name of our church is finally going to change after these 150 years, and that we are no longer going to be the Baptist Church, but tomorrow we'll become Abundant Life Church. There would be a whole set of assumptions <laughs> about the kind of things that we as a church had come to believe. No, Jesus, the one who called us to take up our own cross and follow him, was not baptizing our greed when he said that he had come to deliver an abundant life. So there is, a, there is an abundance of life available that, that comes to us with the arrival of Jesus, which does not mean mere material gain. It does not mean a sick, sickness-free life of permanent success in every detail, at least not in this world. No, the abundant life, the good life, is something bigger, something more transcendent than those short-sighted goals. There is a kind of life which is the living, which is something that exists, it is still abundant, even when life is hard. There is a kind of abundance of life which leads me to flourish in the middle of the drought. What is that abundant life? I'd like to know. Why don't we turn to John 10 and we'll interrogate this passage and see what clues we can find as to what Jesus is talking about. A bit of context here. In chapter 9, there's been a, a showdown, conflicts between the Pharisees and a man who was born blind and whom Jesus had miraculously healed and restored his sight to. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who were not particularly sincerely religious, but they, they like to think they were, were angry at the healed man, if you can get your head around that, for insisting that it was Jesus who had healed him. And in response to his claims that it was Jesus who had healed his sight, they threw this man out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. They cut him off from church. He was no longer welcome. Isn't that an interesting reaction? We've had a few of our church members in, in hospital recently. Imagine if one of our sick members walked into the door this evening and says, I was able to come today because I was healed by Jesus. And we decided that that person was no longer an acceptable person to have in our congregation and would no longer be welcome. The Pharisees see Jesus as a threat to their authority and their position. And so this healed man is a threat to their control and that can't be tolerated. Off with him. Anger. The next scene, Jesus speaks with this man who had been born blind and had been healed, and he explains to the man this in John 9 39. He said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. There's another one of those I came into the world statements. He makes so many of them. Some of the Pharisees overhear what Jesus is saying, and they realize what he's saying. Jesus is saying that they are blind. Those who claim to be wise are going to be humbled in the presence of Jesus. There is going to be a, an inversion of expectations. 
So when we turn to John 10, what we have is a continuation of this direct contrast between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the false religious teachers, the Pharisees. They're being directly compared to one another. There is a difference between Jesus and religious frauds. And to explain that difference to his disciples, Jesus picks up a picture that was easily understood at the time. He picks up the illustration of what is called a sheepfold. We've got a picture of one of them here. It's where the sheep go at night time, and there'll be a, a gate in that little gap in the rocks, or perhaps even the shepherd himself might lie across that gate all night to keep the sheep safe across the course of the night. Wolves can't get in. Um, people can only get in either by going through the door or by jumping the fence, and sheep probably could get out if they put their minds to it, but the thing about sheep is they lack minds, and so it is an effective place to keep them. Jesus takes this thing that you're looking at now and he explains how there's a few parts of this picture which illustrates for us who he is and why he has come. There's these things, every one of them, explain why it is that Jesus is different to false religious leaders. The first thing he pulls out is the method of entry. John chapter 10 verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who entered by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In this illustration, Jesus says, I'm the one who enters correctly. Next, he takes the door itself. And Jesus says, I am the door, in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go, and will go in and out and find pasture. And lastly, he points his finger at the shepherd and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so in these three things, Jesus is contrasted for us against false shepherds, false leaders. The false shepherds do not enter through the door. The Pharisees were not sincerely religious. They had failed to draw near to God whilst claiming to be able to help other people do it. They instead went around like thieves and came in over the wall. The sheep didn't know them, and they had no love for the sheep like hired hands run away to protect themselves when the threat arrives, so too these false religious leaders. Now, our passage about the abundant life comes from that middle illustration where Jesus tells us that he is the door. It's John 10, 9 and 10. This is what he said. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So there's a contrast. There's, 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 there's two options here. In, in this picture that Jesus is painting for us, you and I, we are the sheep, which is eternally flattering. Because sheep are such wonderful creatures. And we as the sheep have a choice to make. Will we enter into the safety of the sheepfold by the door? Or will we be snatched up by the thieves and the robbers who come to destroy? That's our choice. Jesus' promise is very loud here, don't miss it. Jesus said, I am the door, I'm the entry point, I'm the way in. Enter by me and what will happen? You will be saved. 
and you will go in and out and find pasture. Don't miss it. Jesus is telling us that he is the way to God. If you enter through Jesus into relationship with God, you will be saved. And in the lips of Jesus, that salvation means salvation from sin. Reconciled to the God who made you, given eternal life, forgiven and set free. Jesus is the only way to God, and all who call on him will be saved. Do you, sheep, want to be forgiven and reconciled to God? Do you want to know the one who made you? Do you want to be his friend and not his enemy? Here is the door. He has arrived. We know his name. It is Jesus. And there is no other way in for the sheep. Jesus came so that you may have life. Life here contrasted against the punishment that our sins deserve. You can be God's friend, or you can be God's enemy. Those are your two choices, but Jesus has come to give you life. He is the door. And so enter in. But not just that. But not just that. And as if that was not enough, as if that wasn't the height of generosity, no, Jesus takes it a step further in his promises here to us, and he tells us not only will we be saved if we enter by him, but that we will go in and out and find pasture. Above and beyond salvation. The story of life with God through this Jesus who arrived at that first Christmas is not one where God is going to save us and then move on and lose interest and go and get a new toy. No, God is intending through Jesus to provide for our needs in an ongoing way and to forever keep us safe. He's not going to forgive us and put us aside. No, he's going to nurture us and lead us to thrive in his grace. And this is the abundant life that Jesus came to deliver for us. A life filled to the brim in every detail with the weighty, eternal significance of God's redemptive purposes being lived out in your everyday. Through Jesus, God is going to give us a life abundant in His grace, not a short-sighted materialism, an eternal flourishing in the presence of God. This flourishing, this, this abundance is a thing which exists in every season of life and in every small detail of life. In every season, abundant life through Jesus. Jesus was living the abundant life as they took him away to be crucified, you understand. The, the early Christians thrown to the lions were living the abundant life as they huddled together in prayer shortly before their lives were ended. This is a kind of abundance that circumstances cannot take from you. An abundance in every situation and an abundance in every small detail. The parent nursing the sick child through that long fevered night, if they have entered through the door that is Jesus, is living the abundant life in those moments. Because Jesus has come to give you life, and that to the full, 
and he's going to take the ordinary and infuse every moment of it with eternal significance. The humdrum of life now filled with the weight of God's redemption. It's normal life, but better. It's made of a deeper substance. It's connected to its ultimate meaning. It's reason for existing. A life filled with the presence and the providence of eternal God. And so, sheep, our choice is to enter into nearness to God by Him. The baby in the manger. Or to not go through the door. And instead be taken by the thieves and the robbers and destroyed. Pharisees were spiritual thieves. They were leading people away from grace, away from being saved, and if and if we were to follow them, we would be following them into self-righteousness, the opposite of the door. But there are lots of thieves. It's not just the Pharisees who've come to steal and destroy. And in this illustration, Jesus is telling us that anything, anything at all, which skips the door and jumps the fence to nick the sheep is a thief and a robber. Those material things which make life so comfortable can be robbers. Doesn't that just flip things on the head? To have more of Jesus is to have more of life. To be nearer to Jesus is to have a more abundant life. To have less of him is to miss out on the good life. So often we think of holiness as a sacrifice. Following Jesus, we think, means leaving behind all the good things, all the nice things, all the fun things, all the self-indulgent things, so that maybe one day in the future I can have eternal life. That's nice, but here and now it's about missing out. That's not it. No, entering through that door is about escaping from false saviors which are actually bringing me to harm in order that we may gain him the best thing there is. And once he is in the right place in your life, all those things can sort themselves out. And so for this Christmas, we come back to the manger. We come back to the newborn baby. A baby who is the saviour of the world. The baby who grew up and who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. The one who was sinless and yet was crucified because he was crucified in our place and for our sin. The one who died and yet on the third day was raised again to life. The baby who grew up and died and rose again who is today alive and well and who invites us right now into his abundant life that he wishes to share with you and with me. The question we ask ourselves this Christmas is, have you entered through this door? Have you received this life from him? He came that you may have. Father, from here we're going to leave and we're going to do all the nice things. We're going to enjoy family and friends 
and generosity and presence, thoughtfulness, time together, all the different kinds of ham that exist. You're going to see twinkly lights, sparkly trees. We're going to celebrate. Those things are all beautiful. Those things are most beautiful because they are all things which point us. Lord, it would be a great tragedy for us to enjoy Christmas without enjoying you. Lord, we pray that you would lead us to have an abundant celebration because we are having an abundant, full life, a perfect life, life filled to the full because we are living in you and we are living with you. The message of Christmas, the message of your arrival is our everyday reality. That each and every day we walk with you, the one who came and made God known. Jesus, would you be near to us this Christmas, we pray? Would you help us to draw near to you in faith? That it is you and you alone who is the door, and that you are very glad to be that for us. Thank you for your love for us the fact that you are the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, for the fact that you do intend to bless us, for the fact that you treat us better than we deserve because of who you are. You are worthy of our praise, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.